Recorded live from a food processing plant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this is Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, and I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her, Penny. Why uh, food something something in Pittsburgh? Oh, it's the it's the Heinz factory, and I thought that we would <laughs> catch up with each other. <laughs> Get it? It's kind of funny. Laugh uh, like you mean it. I thought you said you were a comedian at one point. Didn't you win like some award for like being the funniest person in Rochester? Yeah, but that was a long time ago, and let's just not not dwell on that anymore. No, this is our catching. Can we up. take that away? Can we take that away? What, take away my funny? Apparently so. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we can do that. Uh, like, it's an anti... I, I am anti-funny. All right. But anyhow, well, no. But we are both uh, here. We're both, like, uh, on the uh, on, on the far side of an election. Uh, we're recording this on the election day, quite frankly. And so we don't know what's going to be happening. We don't know what the world is going to be like when you're listening to this. Hopefully everybody will be a whole hell of a lot happier but we don't know and we're not going to talk about that we'll talk about the election in our next show but today we're just going to talk about each other some of the things that are important to us maybe i'll tell a story maybe i won't uh and we'll see what's going on what do you think about that amy i think we'll be right back after our traditional music swell and fade up Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love we do have expenses and by going to transformationthursday.com they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today plus get exclusive patrons only content um if i say yes can we get on to our next segment oh god i hope so Okay then, transformationthursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure, I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday, and we are back in the garbage plate capital of the world, Rochester, New York. I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And wow, we got plenty of ketchup here for these garbage plates, Amy. Although I think mustard is what you're supposed to use for it. I think you can use both. No, you can use whatever you want. But let's not as talk about garbage the... plates. Oh, gosh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I always tell you, yeah, I know. I, and now I, my son will probably want a garbage plate because whenever I say that word, his ears perk up and then all of a sudden we have to make them. But yeah, that's that's really, I mean, that's that's me and my son. That's you and you're hungry, uh, hungry, hunger. And so... Um, 
but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about you and your, uh, and your people don't know this. Amy is getting her masterate and possibly masterate, masterate, masterage, master, <laughs> your, your mistressage. Cause you, <laughs> your master, well, what do you call it? It's, it's, my, you have my, a my, mas my you master's in mental health counseling is what I am uh, working on right now. Well, if you get a doctorate when you go for that, why can't you get a masterate when you go for this? Huh? I think that's I, another conversation for a different time. You're just on the corny joke world today. I just am. Uh, I, I'm just drinking too much coffee and not sleeping enough. That's really where this is right now. But let's talk Amen about that. Let's talk about. I want. I'd like to talk to you about your classes this year because this is your first semester. You've been out of school for a long time. You decided after you transitioned that you want to help others who are also, well, not just in transition, I'm, I'm assuming, but uh, the LB, but mostly the LGBTQ uh, community. And I'm just wondering, you've, you've had one semester in and I'm wondering how it's going for you. Uh, well, it, it's going very well, I think. I, I had so a couple summer classes. I got a, um, two A's in those. I worked my tail off for, the, for those grades. So i um, very happy learning a lot. I'm realizing I kind of have a, pension or is that the right word um penchant um uh penchant 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 it's a penchant yes it's a penchant, penchant. Not, a, penchant. Not, a, not a pension a pension is what i'm not going to get from my job because it's exactly yeah me, me too a penchant yeah, so, for, and, and, yeah. And, and, go ahead yeah uh, um neurobiology I, I really like that topic i really like it from understanding how the brain works how it affects um people, you know, not only from a physical health standpoint, but also from a mental health standpoint. I mean, I'm not going to be doing um, brain surgery anytime soon, but, you know, understanding some different philosophies there with, um, you know, bottom-up thinking and also top-down approaches on how we look at things and how we look, react, and proactively um, work on our mental health. Um, those type of ideas really fascinate me, and as well as this idea of neuroplasticity. So with neuroplasticity means is that in simple terms you can teach an old person new tricks or as we say in our language a lot um you can't teach a dog new tricks so i you know i take that but you know and then specifically this semester you know i've, I've learned a lot about myself um you know I've, I've had some interesting conversations in a few of my classes with some of the groups that i'm in and one of the things i'm really learning is is that I think I might have the answer for a lot of things, especially when it comes to LGBTQ and trans related stuff, you know, but I also want to work specifically with transgender youth and their parents. And that's, and that's going to be a tough combination a lot of the time because, you know, think of how many parents are not supportive or who do not understand these trans issues. And especially if they're coming from conservative religious backgrounds, I need to sit back and relax and let that information and their perspective come to me before I just come out of the gate because I had this experience earlier in the semester where I thought I had the answer for everything. And I thought, you know, kind of got in this little argument slash debate and, you know, for every response um, this other person had, I had a counter response, but it kind of came back as, I was kind of just rattling off bullet points, kind of like a law debate. And that's not really what's going to work in a, in a therapy session. So 
I'm really learning, especially with religious people, that I need to be able to bracket out my feelings about religion, which can be pretty anti-religious at this point, especially against people that come from evangelical Orthodox backgrounds. And I include very strict Mormons in that definition. I need to be able to bracket out my feelings and set them aside so that way I can fully and then listen and engage and understand the parents or that other person's perspective sitting across from me. That's, that is admirable and, and damned hard, at least it is for me. But you're right about that. I've always, you know, I, I'm hearing and I'm reading uh, people talking about this saying that uh, no one's ever changed a mind fighting with them. And go ahead. No, I was just going to say, go ahead. I, I was just kind of like agreeing. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and so that's got to be really hard, especially um, when it seems like, for, for me, at least, it seems like when I'm talking to these people, they have they have this preconceived notion about what it means to be transgender. And they're speaking from that and not from uh, and not listening to your experience. And as, as someone who is trying to advocate for a trans child who is transgender, you know, from 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 the transgender child's perspective, that's an awesome place to be. But from the uh, conservatives' parents' uh, perspective, I can see why there's an awful lot of fear and misunderstanding and mistrust involved in that. How are you? How are you planning on handling that? I think that that's part of the skills where this bracketing comes in, where I have to be able to set aside my feelings, but then also understand you know and i think we go back to what peterson toscano said in you know our interview with him earlier this year i need to be able to speak in biblical language almost as well as the evangelical christian the person who's citing you know religious verses back to me and understanding but also you know having in my back pocket some hard serious science to say especially related to mental health and teenagers who are who happen to be transgender you know, you're looking at a 40, 40% roughly, you know, suicide attempt rate in some of those communities. Um, but we also see that when, you know, people who are trans and who are teens also get support at home, get support from teachers, find somebody supportive in their life, those mental health outcomes improve dramatically, almost down to their cisgender counterparts. So it's under, so it's understanding, okay, so how do we work with this back and forth so that way the religious parents is find some comfortableness with it but then also gives that space to that trans or non-binary child to express themselves the way they need to express themselves yeah that's that's got to be really really hard um how much work do you do in uh your attempts to uh, i don't know for lack of a better phrase um honor a person's faith without capitulating to their uh, their their prejudice their their faith faith based prejudices is that something that you work on or do you plan on working on? That's 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 going to be the continual argument or not argument. That's going to be that conversation and that thought process of how do I how do I work with that person to honor their faith, but then also get them to. I don't lack a better term. Change their mindset to get them to grow to get them to move on. And to see that there are alternative views out there, you know, one of the gentlemen in my class, you know, um, you know, who we had this early conversation with, and you know, you know, one of the things that came up in class is, you know, and I asked him point blank, was, you know, you know, 
what kind of issues do you not understand about the transgender community or you know what do you what are your thoughts about you know somebody like me and you say well there's a passage in the bible that says men shouldn't lieth with men and i'm like good thing i'm not a man like you uh yeah and that was kind of what and i said you know you're making a big assumption about my sexuality at that point um and so you know in our professor had to stop the conversation and he specifically said amy what i'm hearing you saying is there's a difference between your sexual preferences and your sexual who you date and who you are you know lack of a better term who you're going to sleep with and your gender identity i said yes those are two separate and very distinct things you know i remember when my first came out my mom said um are you gay and I've said, well, yeah, but not in the way that you think. And so that's, you know, part of that mind process of saying, okay, so that means I'm a lesbian then, right? So trying to keep, and so sometimes people have a hard time wrapping their heads around that. And so, you know, it's having those conversations and opening people up to alternative ideas. But, you know, there, there are stories in the Bible, there's verse, there's that if you take a look at it through a different lens with a little bit of education and Yes, I know I'm mentioning Peterson, but he's, um, you know, a public figure and not in my class. So and he's been on our podcast, so I have no problem with confidentiality with Peterson. Okay. But with Peterson Toscano, you know, he talks about these alternate views, especially related to the story of Joseph and how some of those Hebrew words that describe the dream coat, you know, the, the coat of many colors later on in the Old Testament is used as princess dress yeah the gowns of a of, of a of a vestigial virgin of a daughter of a king yeah yeah and so exactly so if those if that hebrew word only shows up twice once for joseph and once later on as you just mentioned you know i can't remember it was a chronicle or king i can't remember but if so if that wording only shows up twice there has to be one of the alternate versions of joseph has to center around that as well and so you know i think peterson makes a really great point when he talks about this you know with joseph and you know there's but if you also look in the book of acts the first person who you know we look at who was one of the early converts if not the first convert to the christian church it's the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. And so yeah, gender, that's a... is, gender, alternate gender has always been part of our world. It's always been, and it's baked into the scripture, but we just don't understand enough of it. And we just tend to look over these things very quickly. Yeah. But how do you, how do you figure out when to educate people on this or when to offer these counter views that that's gotta be tricky. I mean, that's not your, your job is not a teacher of the scriptures. Your job is to try and help trans kids. And is there ever going to be points when like you're, you get lost in the weeds with this stuff? When, when do you do this? And when do you pull back and just like change your focus? How do you do that? Do you have any thoughts? Um, you know, (laughs) My thought is I have to be very keen and aware of that person sitting across from me, you know, or if I'm doing it through a Zoom call, I need to be able to read their facial expressions, read their body language, um, because you know what, I'm probably going to have clients from all around the United States at some point, especially with the acceptance of Zoom right now and telemedicine, you know, so Mm -hmm. I need to be able to read those facial expressions in person and on Zoom. And that's just going to be, I think, 
that's going to be instinct. I'm just going to have to learn at, you know, what point, you know, can I have these conversations? Where can I work? Where can I present scripture information that alternate view, you know, really quietly, really reverence and also, you know, be able to work in some scientific stuff because the challenge is, as we know that modern, really conservative evangelical circles have been taught not to trust science, have been trust not to trust, have been taught not to trust intellectuals. So I have to find a way to work this into conversation and at the same time, really honoring and respecting faith and spirituality, because it's one of the things I've learned through my summer course and as I continue to move through this semester as well, you know, the reasons that people believe in religion are just as varied as, you know, our backgrounds as trans people. And so faith and spirituality bring so much improvement to mental health and personal outlook in life that I have to respect that faith and that tradition within that person sitting across from me, even if I don't agree with it and I have a different outlook on life, I still need to be able to understand at some level their background and where they're coming through. One of the things that I've really taken away from um, this counseling program over the last few months is all, counsel all counseling is cross-cultural. Because no matter what, if it's my brother, my sister, my family members, they're gonna have a different cultural viewpoint than I am. You have a different cultural viewpoint that I do. And this goes back to a lot of things that we've been saying on this podcast for the last year plus now, no two people can go through life the same way. No two trans people are gonna go through life the same way. So we all have our individual paths. And so I have to be able to step outside of my path and try to understand somebody else's path. And one of the phrases that I really like that I hear within the counseling program is this idea of unconditional positive regard. That person sitting across from me, even if I disagree with them, it's, you know, with religion, outview and everything else, I have to still view that person and say, you know what, they're coming from a place of caring, from a place of love, and especially related to trans people. A lot of people, even though they're scared and don't understand it, they don't want to see their loved one get hurt. I, I, I could debate that last point because I do know that a lot yeah. of people are, that, that, that a lot of uh, real religious people with, with conversion therapy, it's like where there's like 30% of the people who are going, being forced into the, the conversion therapy uh, were attempting suicide or, or completing suicide. And there were still people like the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, who were like, yeah, I'm okay with that. So how do you get past that? How do you get well, past that sort of that sort of rigidness in a faith? And also how much of your of your clientele do you think you're going to encounter this sort of resistance with? You're asking Different a crystal questions. ball question. Yeah, you're gonna ask a crystal ball question. And so it's hard to tell. You know, I would, you know my limited experience so far and I, my personal counselor has um three transgender family members that they or families that they work with out in the western parts of monroe county here so we're starting to get a little bit rural out towards brockport um and one of the things that he says is that you know you're going to get your family members and your family you know they and this is where the idea of that 
you know, they even because even people that are going to send their kids to conversion therapy, even though you and I fully disagree with it and see the dangers of it, they still think they're doing it to help their their loved one. Yeah. It, in the back of their mind, they they still think that's going to help. Right. You know, but a friend of mine who's been on our podcast, Kimberly Anderson, you know, she heard I can't remember who she attributed this quote to, but the unfortunate thing with conversion therapy is you shouldn't have to go to therapy to recover from another form of therapy. Right. And that's a lot of times what conversion therapy ends up happening is that you, you know, like you said, you, you cited the suicide rates that come out of that, but then also, you know, the, it's just, it's a horrific practice because we can't change people. Yeah. And hopefully I believe that is pretty much universally banned in the United States at this point. Yeah, but- but there's soft ways around it. Yeah. And, yeah, and that, you know, and, and in Utah, the, the, you know, so, you know, I, I, I know a lot more from the Mormon perspective, just because that was my background. And, you know, I have a lot of friends in Utah who are in this world. In Utah, the bill specifically says psychologists are banned from using this. So you could have a mental health counselor. You could have somebody who's not a certified psychologist. You could have a, a bishop. You could have a bishop or somebody else administering some form of, you know, conversion therapy. So there, there's there's language to work around that, even even in a state like Utah, who quote unquote has a conversion therapy ban. That's amazing, and that's well, really and, really sad. Yeah, and going back real quick to my counselor, you know, he had a family member, he had a family in there, and um, trans kid mom was in there mom mom looked at the counselor and said i want you to tell my kid that this is a phase and it and it's going to go away and and the counselor was like no it's not going to happen it's it's not a phase this is something that's real and, you know and, and you know unfortunately he never saw that family again but you know one of the things him and i have spoken about is how can you couch that language to keep that kid in front of you longer to help that kid with coping mechanisms to help that kid get through life so they can survive? Because you know what? How many people detransition? Maybe 1%. So mathematically speaking, you know, could be a phase. I don't know, right? But you know, we but what parents need to understand and what I would like to educate parents on is. You know, we need to give our kids some trust and let them know that we believe who they are when they say it. And it's one of the things that I take away from, you know, the research supports that. You've said it a number of times, you know, when trans people, non-binary people tell you who we are, the best thing you can do is believe us. Yeah. And the other thing that you're doing, if you're working with kids, I'm sure is you're trying, you're probably going to be spending and tell me if I'm wrong, but you're probably going to be spending some time just working with them, trying to figure out how to let them be the best possible human being that they can be, right? So that you can figure out where, they, let them know wherever they end up being on the gender spectrum, on the, it's going to be safe for them to be there. So that way you won't, hopefully you won't have people like overreacting because they're doing it because they know that they are in, in, in some way, not cisgender, but they don't know where. I mean, that isn't, isn't that going to be part of what you're going to be doing? Is helping them figure out who they are and where they're going to be, and uh, if they're NB, if they're transgender. And if you, I think, if you do that early enough, you're going to have less people detransitioning because they don't have anything to detransition from. 
Yeah, and I think that's just it. You know, I think we look at stories that, you know, like from Penny Gold, who we had on, you know, and who we're going to have back on, you know, stories, you know, leveraging her experience, you know, of being, of being non-binary in this trans world and understanding that we all land in our own space. You know, looking at, you know, past guests on our podcast, you know, Spencer Shiley with a Mormon transgender child, you know, and then Teresa Tangri with, you know, a child that, you know, had, had, you know, a tough time growing up, but then once they figured out everything, you know, and I know Teresa and, you know, her son personally to see what he has blossomed into. And now he's away at school thriving at, at, in university. It, you know, these outcomes are fantastic. Yeah. But it, but you leveraging those other experiences from a parental background, from somebody else's non-binary experience and saying, you know, there's no one way to do this, but wherever you choose to end up and however you choose to get there, I honor and respect you and I will help you get there however I need to do it. Is this uh, some of this work stuff you're going to be doing in your next semester as well? Where, where do you go from here? Uh, you've got these, you've got this great awareness. I'm sure a lot of it is just going to be uh, working on yourself, right? Yeah. Is that something that you're going to be doing in class? Is there going to be stuff in class about that? Or are you going to be doing moving forward or away from that? How's that happen? Well, that's, yeah. So let me, um, so next semester, I'm actually going to be starting pre-practicum. So I think I'm going to start working with some, um, you know, really getting, because I'll be actually taking practicum and internship next fall and, you know, about a year from now. So, I mean, I'm really advancing through this program pretty quickly. So yeah, that well, awareness I, I question, is- I have a question. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know what practicum means. What does that, what does that mean? Practicum. That's where I started getting my first clinical experiences. Oh, so like practice, kind of like practice rehearsal. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you just yeah, say so that? Yeah. So I, so I oh, I'm educated now. Well, I'm, because I I'm, decide I'm brilliant, Amy. It's pre-practicum. <laughs> oh, Penny, you kill me. But talk about awareness. So I'm aware that you like to make fun of me and try to be funny. Um, anyway. <laughs> try. I love, I love the way you try in front of each of those things. I'm sorry. So, so next is pre-practicum. And yeah, uh, just continuing to work on my awareness of like understanding that, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm probably more comfortable than the average person sharing in groups. And I just, I need to be aware and be able to read a room just kind of like with a stand up comedy to be okay. When do I need to pull back? When do I need to not share as much and just giving space to others. And I think I'm, you know, next, next semester I have a group class. So I think I'm going to learn how to do that a lot better by facilitating groups and, um, so I'm really into, you know, paying attention to those. And also, I think a good thing for me to start doing is also paying attention to journaling. Um, that's one of the things, you know, I've been reading a lot on and something, you know, even if I just write something down and I never come back to it, to move it out of my head through my fingers into a document is a powerful, powerful tool. And about two years ago, I sat down early in January of 2019 and I wrote out this plan for my transition and I found this document a couple weeks ago. I've accomplished everything on that plan just through that journaling two years ago. So that's something I really need to get back to. And, you know, the, the other thing too is, you know, I'm continuing to learn the importance of listening. Listen not to generate a response, 
but listening to understand other people, to understand the different intersectionalities within our culture, like how race being how race and transgender relate to each other, how you know, in your case, you know, we've talked, you had an episode on this also, how does being trans and being coming from a religious background, how do these things intersect and to start to take a look at the different layers and how people put together the puzzles of their lives. Yeah. And also um, you are changing, you're going to be changing your dynamic in all of this, uh, all the, all the therapy the stuff that you've done before this, you've you've been the patient, and now you're switching over, and then that's an entirely different dynamic in a in a in, the, in a similar setting where you are you are the lead. Um, is I, I've heard the phrase active listening being used in yep. situations like that. Can you explain how that would be used in a situation like this? Yeah, you know, for me, active listening is a really important thing because it goes back to being able to listen not to be able to just generate a response. That's one of the things, you know, coming from a sales background, we always talk about listening to the client, listening to the client, but we're always listening to the client to overcome an objective, you know, or an objection rather. You know, in, in a counseling setting, you're really listening to get a better understanding. It goes back to that unconditional positive regard. So we're listening, thinking, okay, you know, the way I imagine is how can I best help this person? How can I also, part of my thing that I've been learning this semester through my theories classes, I also want the person sitting across from me in the counseling situation, I don't wanna be the one giving advice. I want to facilitate my clients to help themselves to find ownership within that counseling session. So whatever interventions, which is the clinical term we use, that they start to come up with these themselves and maybe I guide them and help them get there. But I want that ownership because I'm a firm believer in we can't want things for other people more than they want them. Like I wanted my daughter to go to Buffalo State. Two years ago, I wanted her to do that, but she didn't want to go there. But now because of life and situation, now she's thinking about transferring there. So we got there, but I couldn't I couldn't want it. I couldn't force her to do it two years ago. And same thing in counseling. I can't force people to do things, you know, so I need to be very aware. Now, if somebody's a danger to themselves or to other people, then there's also protocols in there that I'm learning about there as well. But pretty much I want to help people take control of their lives because you mentioned counseling. I've been in counseling for the last four years through this process of coming out. And that's what my counselors helped me do is he has helped me formulate my next step. Okay, Amy, what's next? Okay, Amy, this year is 2018. This needs to be the year, year of Amy. So he's always helped me formulate those next steps. And that's what I want to be able to do with trans kids and their families. I understand that. I, I'm also wondering if you didn't want your daughter to go to Buff State so you could get yet another uh, college t-shirt to wear. I, I see you i see you with her old school and i see you with your brockport so now you get got another one it's like this is your only way this is, is this how you build your wardrobe by whatever school you and your kids go to yeah so i was thumbing through um the haynes catalog the other night their college collection and i was looking at oshkosh and bemidji state too since 
uh, I, I attended those universities as well. So, wow, I'm just going to have a college T-shirt collection. You're going to be you're going to be Joan College instead of Joe College because you're a woman. It's funny, laugh like you mean it. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I shouldn't ask you that. Yeah. So that's this is all really fascinating stuff. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's a question I have, have yet to ask. How do you feel? about where you are right now what are your do you have like fears and anticipations and and dread or is this all kind of positive feelings towards what do you get what do you see are there any limitations limiting factors that you have to try and overcome that's a, that's a great question um you know my fear is is that i'm not gonna be able to help everybody that i think i can help um but i think i'm gonna help the people that i need to help if that makes any type of sense whatsoever. Yeah, it does. Um, and and I've been mulling this over, you know, I mulled enrolling in this program over and over um, for the last couple of years. And then last year, about this time, I actually went out to Brockport, met with the department head. Um, and then I sat on my application and then all of a sudden the last minute in January, my girlfriend at the time was like, Amy, you need to apply for this. You know, she's like, I've been down this road of having a trans kid here in Rochester. There needs to be, there needs to be a counselor like you who can help parents and families. And I, and she was like, we've had this conversation. You have this calling. You're at a spot in your life where you can make this change and and you can change your life and you can change the lives of other people. So I, I feel this, you know, religious, almost evangelical, like calling to step into this role. And especially here in our community, because there's such a need for it. And I'd like to reach out to me are the ones that are really going to need me the most. And, you know, just being to know in the future, I'm going to be able to be there for them is important. Yep. And one more quick thought. And then the other thing too, is, you know, all of a sudden now I have this idea in the back of my head, maybe I do go for a PhD, you know, maybe I do not only work with, you know, individuals and families going through this process, but maybe I get a PhD and I help future generations of counselors who come through this area, understand trans issues and I can help them through the counselor education process. So I don't know, there, there are many options to me that are opening up to me almost on a daily, weekly basis. I, I could see you actually, because the way you are able to uh, present these ideas and these thoughts, I could also see you publishing. I could see you writing a book about this because uh, you have a gift for uh, presenting this stuff in understandable. I mean, you're helping me learn just sitting here listening to you. I wish that there, would, that there had been somebody like you uh, in my world when I was eight years old, because I knew that I was trans. I knew that I wasn't a, a boy when I was eight years old and there was no one that I could talk to about it. And it was absolute hell. Yeah. So, well, so knowing that there's someone like you out there that is trying, that is willing to put yourself out there and willing to sit with the uncomfortable uncomfortability or the discomfort of being with parents who don't understand and are actually wishing the worst for their child while thinking they're worship, wishing the best. That's a, that's a hell of a battle that you're putting in front of yourself and I applaud you for it. Well, thank you. And I, and I take your compliment that you said um, a little bit ago with very 
I, that hits me right in the heart because I view you as one of the smarter people that I have in my life. And for you to pay me that compliment means a lot. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Also, on your when you went back and you saw that list of goals, where was finding the cute and spunky co-host? Uh, was that one of the list? Was that on your list back then? I already, yeah, that was up there. But good thing I found her. Well, when you see her, tell her I said hello. Okay. All right. Thank you, Amy. I really enjoyed catching up with you and finding out about this stuff. It's always good to hear you talk about your goals because they are they're always lofty and they're always noble. So they're always, 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 always great to speak to you. <laughs> great. Yeah, no. Well, we're going to come back and then we're going to change it. We're going to talk about me, me, me. Damn you, Amy. I wish I could do that with myself. Anyhow, we're going to come right back with, uh, with me. I'm going to tell you a little story about my life. And we'll be doing that in a few minutes right after this beg for money. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to transformationthursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i'm penny stevens and my shape pronouns wait a minute did you just flash me no it looked like you did. Let's try that again. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Yes, and they are. Yeah, that's obvious when you lifted up your shirt like that. I mean, that that's what your pronouns should be if they that gets. Well, anyhow, hi. So, uh, did you do that in Halloween? Did you do anything sexy, or did you like? Did you dress up as a slutty counselor for Halloween or anything like that? No, my Halloween was pretty low key. We had some chili and some drinks with the neighbors and a couple friends in the backyard. And um, I did homework all day. So pretty low key day. How about your Halloween? Uh, I worked. Uh, and so I really wasn't here. My son uh, went out and on a, on a whim bought a whole bunch of candy and then created this really, really creepy costume that he he had a uh, when he was in Venice he did a uh, he he bought a couple of Commedia del Art masks and he kept one for himself and he painted it bright red he put on an overcoat and he was like this really silent creepy guy and it was actually pretty fun to watch him do this he 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 did that for me while I, when I came home from work and it was I've, I've, I mean it was my son but it was still it was still unnerving to watch him do this um, but it was yeah, a really cool watching costume. your family is I was just gonna say watching your family usually is unnerving. <laughs> especially my family yeah um but it, it actually i've been thinking a lot um about uh halloween well, and, and i i have a, a sort of a a transgender related halloween story and it's not really about halloween it was just like one of those oh i should have known moments that took place during halloween yeah. and with your permission i would love to just end today's uh today's episode with me telling that story if that's okay no, with okay. you what? You have my permission. Thank you very much. This is a story that I call The Supreme Dress.
I have a Halloween story that's not really a Halloween story. It's an I should have known moment from my distant past that happened on Halloween. So since we're past the spoopy season, here it is. When I was six or seven, my mom allowed my brother and I to pick our Halloween costumes. One autumn Saturday, my brother and I sat at the kitchen table while dad got out a catalog. Catalogs were the Amazon of the time. It's where everyone looked when they wanted to buy something. Even if you didn't buy it from the catalog, you'd at least know what was out there and what it cost. The most popular catalog at the time was the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And in my memory of this memory, that's what we were looking at. Although it may not have been a Sears catalog, my mother had an almost obsessive aversion to buying anything from well-known national brands. Which is weird because she was also desperate to be upper middle class. We never had name brand items in the house. You had Wonder Bread. We had Stroman Sunbeam Ranch. You had Oreos. We had Hydrox. You had Kool-Aid. We had Weilers. You had Levi's. We had Wranglers. You had Radio Shack. We had Heathkit. We were an off-brand family. Mom said it was about economy, that we were just paying for the label when we bought brand name. Which sounds like a good explanation, except for the time I found a pair of Levi's my size that were on sale for less than the Wranglers. And then Mom said we shouldn't put on airs and bought me a pair of JCPenney Husky jeans. I, I'm off topic here. Let me get back. So it may very well have been an off-brand catalog we were looking at, like JCPenney or Montgomery Ward. Hell, it may have even been a, a flyer from Harold's Army and Navy store. It was a real place. Look it up. But in my mind's eye, it's a Sears catalog, and so we're going with that. Uh, Do you ever watch a kid watching cartoons? This may not happen as much now since network television is in decline, but for most of the past three quarters of a century, kids compiled their Christmas lists during cartoon commercials. And the cry of the covetous goes like this. I want that. Sometimes it's a cry. Sometimes it's just a statement. Sometimes it's so reflexive that the kids don't even bother moving their lips and barely their tongues. I want that. I bring this up because of what happened while we were paging through the costumes. Almost every costume we saw was either for boys or neutral, but worn by a boy. Soldiers, cowboys, policemen, firemen. Yes, I know those are gendered terms, but these were gendered costumes. The few girls' costumes were witches, fairies, nurses, or ballerinas. Plus, there were cartoon characters, which were these cheap vinyl pullovers with hard plastic masks, and who knows who was behind them. My brother found his costume immediately, Huckleberry Hound. He loved dogs in any presentation, and old Huck was his favorite cartoon character. The world told me it was important to have favorites. I liked dogs and Huckleberry Hound too, but my brother told me that I could not have the same favorites as him, so I needed to find another cartoon character to favor. So my favorite was Yogi Bear. No, Quick Draw McGraw. No. Snagglepuss. I, I didn't really have favorites. I rarely do, even now. Maybe if I did have one, things would have been different. But I didn't, so none of the costumes appealed to me. Not the soldier, nor the cowboy, nor the nurse. Until Dad turned a page. And there it was. My costume. In my limited internal vocabulary, it was a Supremes costume. Even though it was a little white girl in a blonde wig wearing it, to me it was the same dress I'd see on those women I'd see on the occasional Sunday on the Ed Sullivan Show. I need love, love.
They were beautiful and talented and radiated joy. I wanted that. I wanted that so much. And this dress made me think of it. Let me describe the dress. It was a, a sparkly silver sleeveless bodice, empire waisted with a long shiny satin pencil skirt with a kick pleat, plus a blonde beehive wig and opera gloves that went over the elbow. Now, those words came to me much later in life when I would surreptitiously read the descriptions of dresses that I would never wear in later Sears catalogs. If I got caught, I'd just get scolded for ogling women in their Kenmore underwear. But that was better than the truth. It was a supreme dress. It was the supreme dress. I could tell by the expression of pure joy on the face of the little girl modeling it. It was the same expression those ladies on the TV had. I wanted that expression. I wanted that joy. I wanted that dress. Less than a second after seeing it, I knew it. I want that, I said reflexively, my hand tapping the page squarely on the object of my desire. My dad grew quiet. It was not a normal quiet. It was a quiet that boded. Boded what? I don't know. But there was a whole lot of boating going on. So much so that even my brother, who never missed the opportunity to torment me, grew equally still. Which costume? The question came quietly in the sort of rising tone one uses at the end of a question, but in this case, every phoneme was doing it. Which costume? The edge of the tone caught my mom's attention. What did he pick, she asked. She even stopped ruining a meal to come over and take a look. This was a question that had a right answer and a wrong answer, and the wrong one would be catastrophic. My life up to this point had been an unending stream of wrong decisions broken only by me experiencing the consequences of those wrong decisions. But I knew this was an answer that I absolutely could not get wrong. I tapped the closest costume to the dress that I thought would be considered appropriate, which, quite frankly, wasn't all that close. Oh, said Mom, that'll go well with your brothers. And that is how, at six, maybe seven years old, I went trick-or-treating as Top Cat. Top Cat! Remember Top Cat? No, you don't. No one remembers Top Cat. He was the feline reflection of Phil Silver's Sergeant Bilko character, only less funny, if that's possible. He was a, a D-list cartoon from the B-list Hanna-Barbera Cartoon Studios. Magilla Gorilla looked down on Top Cat. And I had to pretend to like him for three years because Mom sure as hell wasn't going to buy me a new costume just because I'd worn it for two years already. Three years of that scratchy cat mask limiting my vision, the insides of it getting cold and wet because of my breathing, walking up to neighbors' houses and saying a garbled version of Trick or Treat because the mask also hindered speaking. Ficker feet! Who thought these masks were a good idea for kids to wear on a dark, cold night? Anyways, I never got to wear the Supreme dress... Not only that, I never got to like the Supremes, or Diana Ross for that matter. Like anything in the world that reminded me of my own femininity, I shut it out of my life. I had to. If I didn't, if I allowed myself to dwell on it, I knew I would be in danger of allowing more and more of my true self into the world, and it wouldn't end until I became that woman. I was right about that, by the way. That's exactly what happened. Only it happened in my 50s. I didn't do much with Halloween for most of my life. In my teens, I tried to be a miscreant and soap windows or cover trees with toilet paper, 
but I wasn't very good at it. In my 20s, I'd wear the lamest costumes to parties I'd attend, but usually I'd try to be working or go to a bar or just hide in my bedroom reading with the rest of the house lights out to discourage trick-or-treaters. I dressed like someone I wasn't every day of my life, so putting a costume over a costume really didn't have much of an appeal to me. After I got married, I mostly wore the costume of a tired dad on Halloween, carrying the bag of candy when the little ones were tired of holding it, but still wanting more, and then sorting through the piles for suspicious candy. There was never any suspicious candy. Well, there was, but it was always the candy I happened to like. Funny how that worked out. But six years ago, I did go to a Halloween party. I got to walk into a room full of people as a woman for the first time in my life. I talk about that evening elsewhere in another story because it's such an important point in my life, but what I didn't say in that story was how many conversations I had with people that night who would say, this really isn't a costume, is it? It wasn't. It was one of the last parts of the first part of my real life. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Transformation Thursday this week. We'll be back next week with another interesting group of transformative ideas. But until this, that time, I'm going to say goodnight for both Amy and I. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny. Good night, everybody. <laughs>